What's up and welcome back to Real Ballers Read. Uh, we are here today with a very special guest. This is my fiance, Simone Speech. She is the executive director of Compass College Advisory in Chicago and a retired professional pro volleyball player. How's it going, Simone? It's good. I'm really excited to be here in my house. With yeah, you guys. that's right. You're in the <laughs> studio. Welcome to the studio. Yeah, no, we're super excited for today's episode. Um, so just to start, I mean, how have you been and what have you been up to recently? So as you know, I recently retired playing volleyball. I retired in like April, May, and I joined the Compass College Advisory team as the college counselor slash uh, NCAA athletics specialist. Yeah. And so the past couple of months, I've really just been working with Dr. Pamela to help expand her business and even just, you know, blaze my own trail um in the company and helping kids with athletics in mm -hmm. their college admissions process that's awesome yeah that's great and shout out to dr pamela <laughs> the uh the mom employer extraordinaire <laughs> number one real bars read listener um so yeah that's great and i mean as we all know it's really cool how you have taken the next step in your career just continuing to center volleyball but as well as just education and personal development so I'm curious, someone who has a lot of talents, a lot of skills, a lot of experiences, like where has reading fit into your life, like growing up and now as an adult? Right. So growing up, I was really into the fantasy books. It was a lot of Harry Potter, Twilight, Maze Runner, stuff like that. And then as I went into high school and college, got more educational, talking about problems of the world, stuff like that. And then when I went overseas, it kind of turned into self-help keeping myself sane books yeah. <laughs> overseas was not an easy time even though it was probably the mo the best most memorable time of my life and I learned a lot about myself but it was also a very difficult time especially with COVID so yeah yeah for sure and we'll definitely get into it especially when we introduce stillness is the key which is the book that helps you get through a lot of that time but before we get to that Simone could you take us back to like your first time playing volleyball? My first time playing? Yeah, okay. or seeing the game, whatever. <laughs> Just like, you know, early memories of your story. Okay, so I actually, my early memories of volleyball have to do with my cousin, Samantha Thrower. Shout out, Samantha Thrower. She played volleyball at the University of Indiana. And my Uncle Derwin, shout out Uncle Derwin, took me to some of her games. And I was like, what is this? This is so cool. I want to do this. And I'd already done swimming and basketball and ice skating and dance team and just a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And nothing had really stuck until I saw my cousin play volleyball. Um, and in the seventh grade, I went out for the volleyball team. I thought I was hot shit. Didn't make the team. But I was super committed and I decided to be the manager. And so I woke up at 5 a.m. every day and I went to practice. and I practiced with the girls. And kept score free during the games, all that stuff. During the summer, I did camps and practice. In eighth grade, I made the team. And by the end of the year, I got MVP at the last tournament. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's incredible. And it's so cool to hear as well how your cousin was kind of like a big inspiration for yeah. showing you what was possible. Um, and then, of course, you took it to like even the next level after that. Yeah. You really got your own little Michael Jordan story thing too. Again, cut from the team or whatever, right. making it back. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you had this initial attraction and committed. You became 
a great player pretty quickly. But what was that experience like when it came time to look for colleges and just the general recruiting process? Uh, it was actually really hard. I started late and my first club season was freshman year of high school, which is pretty late for mm -hmm. volleyball. And I tried it for my club team, made so each age group has like a top team. Tried out, made the top team. And so all my teammates have been playing since they were like eight or nine. And so I would say probably until for a good two, three years, I was playing catch up, which is always tough. No one wants to be a partner. You're always getting pulled out of drills to do extra stuff. So you're not slowing practice down. So like that was always super tough. It made me feel super self conscious and insecure. But then at the same time, I remember going to my first tournament and seeing all the courts and the coaches walking around. And I got my first recruitment letter at 15 from Indiana, Indiana University, which is where my cousin went. Yeah. So I think that was my like first sign to just keep going, keep my head up. Because at times I felt alone, but like I had to be doing something right. Was, like, I got that letter and it was mm -hmm. my first year playing. So. Mm -hmm. But then, I mean, by the end of your time in high school, you had basically like a bathtub full of letters, right? Like yeah. you were getting a lot of attention and offers, correct? Yeah, no, I had, I was getting like trash bags of recruitment mail and mailboxes wow. always full. And again, no one in my like immediate family had went through it except for my cousin, but she was off doing her thing. So again, yes, like I was so grateful for my mom and Jairo to help me kind of sift through all that and help me with the research because we didn't have the money to just go pop into campuses like yeah. my teammates did at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I really had to rely on them being thorough um, and listening to me and supporting me in what I wanted. Um, but then also getting my high school life of practice and my social life. I played clarinet, I had band concerts, yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and so, yeah, the process was very humbling and very difficult and scary, but we made it work here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, like you ended up committing to Georgetown. So what was the significance for you at that point of being able to go to a great school like that has a really strong education and then also play volleyball too? Well, I think especially during the recruiting process, my mom wanted me to go to a school uh, where she would always say like, the ball's going to stop bouncing. Like if something happened, you couldn't play volleyball tomorrow, what would you do? Would mm -hmm. you be happy? Mm -hmm. And so I definitely used that when it came to picking a school. And it was so funny. I had never even heard Georgetown until Gyro was like, oh, you see that lady in the cute Nike tennis outfit? She works at Georgetown. I was like, what? <laughs> and so shout out Gyro for <laughs> my university. But uh, yeah, when it came to committing, I committed to Georgetown in my junior year. I knew when I went on that visit that I would be happy if volleyball wasn't a factor anymore. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, did that prove to be true in your experience at Georgetown? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. granted, I played alter four years, so we'll never be able to know if that's yeah. actually true. But, right. you know, I came out of it with a husband. That's and right. Some really great friends and family. Yeah. And so I know one. I know I 100% made the right decision in going to Georgetown. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, because part of what you're saying, too, is playing any sport at the college level is basically like a full-time job. Oh, yeah. For sure. um, and so what was it like still continuing to do super well in school, but then also like be like 
Hall of Fame bound at Georgetown as a college athlete. Honestly, I think while I was in it, I kind of felt like, a, now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of like a machine. Really? I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed my teammates and playing and traveling to the games and the, like, camaraderie. But also, I had so much going on all the time. It was like, I, I won't say I was going through the motions, but I had to be on and on time and within my schedule at all times, all four years, up until my senior spring. Yeah. And that when, sounds intense. I feel like I will never do anything else that compares to that just because now like my time is given to the people that I choose to give it to and it's not bound to my $70,000 tuition or mm. getting good grades or my playing time or other things that have to do with being a Georgetown. And so I feel like nothing will ever compare to that, that like intensity. Yeah, for sure. But then, I mean, it seems like playing professionally overseas was its own kind of intensity too. Do you think right. it was harder or easier or what do you think happened in that transition? I think it's different for everybody, Okay, but I would say for me, in a way, I think it was harder. Like volleyball wise, obviously skill, the game's faster, whatever. Um, but what I really struggled with was my whole life becoming volleyball because it had never been that from the day I decided to play. Oh, I see. The moment I decided to go overseas, mm -hmm. which was a huge shift. And like my first year when I was in Italy, I was super excited, just excited to be there. Never been to Europe. And so it was just something that no one that I knew had done before. And so I was just going out there, taking a chance. And I'm really happy I did. But then COVID hit. And I was like yeah. completely isolated in a foreign country, couldn't yeah. talk to or get to anybody that I wanted, I truly wanted to talk to and get to. And yes, I made amazing friends while I was there, friends that I still have today. Mm -hmm. But not it, you know, you're still, you're learning and you're getting to know them. And there's that, you have to make the effort to be social and enjoy your time. Whereas with friends and family, like there's no effort. It's like, it's as easy as breathing. Yeah, you know, and right. constantly feeling like you have to make an effort is exhausting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, thinking of interacting, communing with friends and family as like breathing—that's a really kind of like very specific, visceral experience. I mean, do you feel like you weren't getting to breathe at all while you were overseas, or was it a very like? Did you have some outlets? I definitely would say it's funny because I think you can both attest this. I am. Like now, I feel like I'm always doing something with somebody pretty much every day, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is just how I've always spent my time in Oak Park. Just always doing something. Even like, for example, when we're with Rachel, we're usually doing nothing, but it's with someone somewhere. Yeah. Um, right. But overseas, it was a lot of time spent alone. And I learned the definition of true loneliness. Mm. You didn't have a roommate? Uh, my second year, I did. My first year, I didn't. Oh. My first year, I lived alone. And it's very different than having your own room. But I lived alone. Mm -hmm. And I like my friend at the time was my neighbor. But yeah. it was very isolating. Because still, we were still getting to know each other. And so that time where you 
you know, you want to breathe, not feel like you have to make an effort to do anything. You go to your own apartment, but then you realize how if something happened, mm. the first person you would call couldn't actually get to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that really set in my first year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think being there along the way for that last year of college and then for your pro volleyball life, I mean, I, I kind of knew this just in my own experience with sports and just recognizing how so much of your life, like as an athlete is outside of like just the games, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's the, there's the great action shots of you, like head and shoulders above the net. There's like all your highlight clips, mm -hmm. um, but there's just so much outside of like you playing and being a baller on the court that was fun, but also super challenging at times. Um, so what, what would you say is like one of the big challenges that you like had to navigate in your career playing volleyball? Um, I would say separating myself as like Simone, the volleyball player as mm -hmm. Simone, the <laughs> blank. And I think that kind of really set in my second year overseas in Germany, um, I had a really great group of girls. We really bonded. It was a great time. But in the first half, I got sick. I had a cold. I had like a stomach flu thing, whatever. Mm. But, you know, it was the playoff times. The club had never made it to the German Cup. It was a really big deal. They needed me to play. So I played. I pushed through. But the result of me playing ended up prolonging my sickness. So I hadn't been eating for three, four days. I was literally surviving off of Powerade and bananas oh, and like mm. blacking out midway through like through practices. Um, I broke out in hives for the first time due to severe stress. I had to be taken to the German emergency room during COVID. No one could go in with me and no idea what the doctor was saying, mm. which brought me some medicine that made me even more sick. Mm. And, you know, yay for us. We won all our games, but the days that we had off, I spent in the bed because I had to recover for practice in four days. And then later that season, I got a disc protrusion in my neck yeah. and like couldn't lift my arm yeah. past my shoulder, wasn't sleeping. I remember calling you crying because all I wanted to do was go to sleep. And then one of our other middles like got COVID and I had to practice and the club kind of almost wanted to fight me for wanting to get making them pay for acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, if the acupuncture doesn't work, you're getting a steroid shot in your neck so you could play for the German Cup. And like during that time, I'm pushing through, I'm playing because this is important. It's my job and I have to commit to this team. But in any other situation, like that would not be okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, because it's kind of like, I mean, that's like your body was like giving you all the signs. Yeah, no, but, literally my body was like, stop. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I, I remember from that time too, like you were constantly saying like more than an athlete. Like I'm pretty sure you had that on a shirt. Um, and so it was pretty clear that not only you like physiologically, but also just spiritually where you were at, you were very much resisting that idea that you were just like an athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Um and like, where would you say, like, obviously you've retired now, but where would you say that you're at in that process of like defining like who you are for yourself? 
Oh, you know, I'm still learning and growing, but I think definitely working with the amount of space that Dr. Palin has given me to grow and learn. I don't think I've had that in a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited to see like what I come up with and even the ideas that I'm, I've come up with in the past couple of months. She's been all in super supportive, which is um, very different than a coach changing your technique or praising you for hitting the ball hard, which is the height of the, was the most that I got overseas. Like if I was hitting the ball deep in, in the court, like I was doing my job well. Yeah, you know? right. So just shifting. Yeah, for sure. So I'd love to like get more into just your decision to retire and how stillness is the key um, kind of played a role in that. But before we do that, I was curious if you could talk more specifically about like how um, even like our relationship and real bars read has like kind of informed your own practice of reading. Well, I mean, there's this big, I look at this bookshelf every day (laughs) and we literally argue about how many books you buy in a month because you can't read them all. (laughs) Uh, But I would definitely just say like throughout our relationship, watching you read and watching you guys talk about the books that you read and your mom being like, oh, you guys got to read this book. And that being one of your love languages, along with music, just sharing the books that you've read and the music that you've listened to um, has... I don't want to say made me feel guilty about not reading, <laughs> but earlier in our relationship, I was like, dang, I need to read more. Like, my man's reading all these books I need to read. Because <laughs> I wanted to share that. I wanted to share that love language with you and with other people because, I don't know, even just the look on people's faces when they see this bookshelf, I'm like, I need to be a part of this. Uh, right. Wait a second. I'm going to share a, a story too. Who was it that gave the gift of a book? To someone else, and between us two, yeah, it was Simone. She she, yeah. she gave him first. But it was uh, it was the subtle art of not giving a fuck by oh, Mark Manson. Yeah, and then there was another book called Perfect Love, Imperfect Relationships. Mm. Um, and there might have been another. There might have been a third one. It was a real cute little stack of like birthday books though. Uh, and I felt bad. Oh yeah, it was Valentine's Day. But yeah. I felt bad because uh, I told you that I I'd already read subtle art i'm not giving a fuck and you got all upset about it and i was like oh you know what i'll just share with you my little spreadsheet my nerd spreadsheet of all the books that i've read so that you wouldn't get any that i'd already gotten mm-hmm. um but what's funny what's funny though is that you ended up reading the subtle art right I so did like, well, last year. yeah because you were talking about you know this balance that you have of loving the fantasy but then also like the very practical kind of like self-help type books yeah. um so yeah, before even stillness is the key, could we, could you just talk a little bit more about what you liked about the subtle art of not giving a fuck? It was interesting. My reasoning behind reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck was because I had this desperate need to not give a fuck. I literally was drowning in my judgment and thoughts about volleyball and I was like I like how do I turn it off how do I turn it off like how do I move on and like trying to figure out how I got to the point where I was at where I felt like to read that book um and I would say it did it opened my eyes a little bit but I don't think it really hit home until I read stillness is the key really yeah. okay so so yeah so what was so different about 
stillness is a key. And as well, maybe we could, cause you've already talked a little bit about your second year and like all of the illness and injuries, but then what was different about that third year, um, playing pro volleyball, being overseas? So my third year, I went to like one of the top clubs in Germany. And so super high expectations for myself, club at super high expectations, even though they were the nicest, most organized people I've ever met. Um, and in the beginning, I'm just a struggle. Like when you play for good teams, like you're not going to play out all the time. It's super competitive and you need balance within a long season. But in the very beginning, I was really hard on myself because I felt like I was performing to where I needed to. And I wanted to play. And I was like, why is this hurting so bad? Because it's not like it was the first time I'd been in that situation. I just didn't understand, which I struggle with. And so I started jumping into the books to figure out why I didn't understand. Like, what wasn't clicking? And, like, how can I get things back right so I can play and perform for my team and do well? Mm-hmm. Do, do my job well? Mm-hmm. Um And then I started reading Subtle Art, not giving a fuck because I wanted to chef off my brain and get past my problems. And um, like one of the things from the book that stood out was that like negative emotions are a sign of change. And I was like, okay, I have all those negative emotions. Like something needs to change. Like I got to figure it out. Um, And then he also talked about like a way to get through your problems is to stay true to your values. And I was like, oh, like what are my values? And so I wrote them down. Mm-hmm. And a big one for me was balance. And I, at the time, I was like, oh, my volleyball life isn't balanced. Like, I got to figure out. And I later figured out that my life in general was not balanced. Mm. And I was feeling very empty. But as I was figuring out my values, the other thing, some other things that I've really held close to my heart were like family and loyalty and resilience and courage listening all that stuff and later on i realized none of that has to do with me <laughs> huh wait really yeah family doesn't have anything to do with one not in the in the yeah, setting that i was in yeah no no in the setting that i was in like when i say family i meant like you guys and my friends here in the park and Thanks. my mom and like i wasn't over there for them hmm. Like, I wasn't playing volleyball for them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And this was all, this was all, you're talking about from Stillness and Kate, right? It's like, My values. Well, yeah, just your whole, like, thought process at that time. Well, so, yeah, this was all after, so I kind of blended the cell art of not getting fucked in Stillness is Key. Oh, I see, yeah. Like, what I, the pieces I took out of each, and it was like, okay, it's making sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just I just remember how funny it was this one particular morning where like I was asleep and you you always are up before me and reading or whatever. Um, but you came back into the bedroom and we're just like in the doorway. You like laid on top of me sideways, like not even whatever. And you're just like, I think I'm having an existential identity crisis. And I'm just like, whoa, like good morning to you too. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and that was while that was while you were reading. Yeah. That was while you were reading. Still is, is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, remember in the first half, like I would literally come home. I would leave the gym because I ain't no punk. Anybody wants to see me cry. <laughs> I would cry, literally sob on my walk home. 
And I would get to the door and ring the doorbell and my eyes would be bloodshot red and big. And she would just open the door and be like, what did I miss? Because the walk from the gym to the house was like, what, four minutes? Yeah. It was also freezing cold, though, you know, so I wouldn't know if you were like tearing up because it was just that cold or something else. (laughs) Um, So funny now. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? So funny in hindsight. But of course, it was through the course of reading stillness that you were like, man, like, do I want or need to retire? Right. And so did that question like scare you at all? Or like, what was your reaction once you started thinking about like actually retiring and transitioning to something else other than pro volleyball? No, it really scared the hell out of me. Um. Because I didn't know, like, who or what I would be once I retire. And after I read the book, I realized my need and want to do well and play overseas was tied to my financial fear that I also did not know I had <laughs> until reading the books I had read that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't use volleyball anymore to shove that fear down. Um, and so I could think like once I made the realization that that's was really the only reason I was playing, like I was like, I can't, it's not going to carry me. I'm not going to last long. Mm. Like I'm going to fizzle and burn mm. and <laughs> be stuck in another country that I didn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's kind of interesting because I know like even your last year at Georgetown, you were very much like, oh man, this would be a dream come true for me to play professionally. Um, and then, so what happened going from dream come true to then being like, oh, I'm just doing this out of the financial fear. Um, I think it had a lot to do with us getting engaged, honestly. I think like us getting engaged and then moving overseas, us getting engaged, moving overseas was trigger. And it was different when we were dating and I was basically solo dolo overseas doing my own thing but us getting engaged was kind of like that light switch like oh like I have this person that I'm starting a life with and like a family like our families are blending together and watching just even seeing everybody at our engagement being there supporting us and wanting to see us do well kind of started the fire of my uh, core life crisis <laughs> yeah in a good way though definitely in a good way um and i'm grateful for that experience that i had while i was overseas because then this year we'd be in another <laughs> random country yeah. eating mac and cheese and sweet potatoes on thanksgiving alone yeah. <laughs> and so i'm not complaining about it or not wishing that i had never went through it but it was definitely hard so like now what maybe six or so months since you've read stillness is the key you're in a very different like environment you're back at home in chicago you got six different jobs and you're around your friends everything so what would you say is still kind of like sticking with you from stillness is the key um there's a part of the book that was saying that if your life is about yourself then it's empty. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like the that was I think that was when I came in your room and I was like I'm having an identity crisis because that sentence just clicked like it really struck a chord because I was like aside from you and Bo that like hole I was feeling was emptiness and I think now that I'm home I just definitely want to give back to you guys and my friends and coaching now and Mm -hmm. supporting the girls through a difficult time and giving them what I didn't have is super important to me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, who, like, who in particular would you recommend, like, check out this book and why? That's a hard question. Really? <laughs> like, who would I literally walk up to and be like, read this book? Or who do you think uh, needs to read it, even? Do you think it's worth, like, everyone, like, hearing, listening to the ideas, reflecting in a similar way? Or do you think it's important when you're in a big transition? What do you think? Yeah. I definitely think when things get noisy and messy, complicated, mm-hmm. it's a really good book to read to slow down. Mm-hmm. It's just very easy to do. No, mm-hmm. just get lost in things that aren't really important to you, like your job to make enough money, you know, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and so I would say anybody who's just feeling lost in life or overwhelmed, just needs to sit down and read a book. <laughs> Be still. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And on that and what you were saying before, just about how you're supporting younger people, right, who are going through the process of college recruiting and being a college student athlete, but like you also have started to like build a little bit of a writing career out in, uh, you know, kind of like talking about body language and attitude and more as like the mental and emotional, spiritual side of performing at such a high level. So what would you say are some of your go-to recommendations or advice for people who are right, just like competitively performing at the, in that way? At a high volleyball. Oh yeah, high volleyball, sports, whatever. I think it definitely depends on what they might be struggling with, but really, just this is sounds so corny, but you know, put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. And granted, I didn't truly understand that until I had a disc protrusion in my neck, because the stuff that I was doing unable to lift my arm above my head is just absurd and the only reason I was able to get through it is because I wanted to and I felt like I had to mm-hmm. and so don't let it get to that point take advantage of the practices and the time that you have with your friends to really enjoy the sport and get better simply because you want to not because you're hurt and it might be your last game is there a lesson that you learn in volleyball that you can't learn in any other sport? Y'all really got the hard questions. <laughs> a lesson in volleyball in any other sport? Or that, that you're grateful for? I'll say this. My time overseas 
and the relationships I built in such a short amount of time with people that were in the same um, situation as mm -hmm. me was really beautiful. And when you meet people and connect with them in that way, don't take advantage of it and hang on to those relationships. Mm. And the way in which volleyball and sports in general can bring people together like that, mm -hmm. I think is really special. Um, especially when you're on in another country alone. Mm. Those girls really got me through a lot and just translating and telling me where to go and mm. helping me get stuff I needed to get a SIM card and all that mm. stuff. So definitely just the bonding yeah. from the team for sure. If you could still play pro volleyball here in Oak Park, do you think you'd still be playing? <laughs> that is so tough because, you know, America's trying to get their leagues together. Maybe. I think it definitely, for sure, depends on the people mm -hmm. and, like, who would be there and running in it and who I would be giving my time to. Maybe. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really, that'd be crazy. <laughs> Like, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now and emerging into my coaching role. It's very different. And I just love the look on girls' faces when I say something in a way that they understand. Mm -hmm. um, and it almost comes close, if not better, to when I was playing. Yeah. How far is the American League from, like, really taking shape, though, or... Well, there is one now. They have one in Dallas. It's like oh. six weeks, I think. Mm -hmm. But the format isn't the same as mm -hmm. overseas. Mm -hmm. And it's not as long, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they're trying to get something a little more like legit with teams. Mm -hmm. that, like the one in Dallas, the teams change every week. And it's like a weird situation. Or non-conventional situation. Yeah, because the yeah the the leagues in Europe are like really well built out you know, oh, right. for sure. Yeah, so the U.S. definitely has a long way to go. I was thinking like, imagine a slam ball variation of volleyball, <laughs> yeah. where like in the the center middle of both sides there's a trampoline, but it only can be in a small part of the half. It can't be the whole half, you know, because then there's yeah. no strategy. Yeah, but like. That would be sick. Would you play that game as well? I break my Wait, you ever seen slam ball? What? <laughs> they somehow. I mean, they think they wear helmets, but um, yeah, yeah. It and, looks cool and everything. It looks cool. Imagine like being able to slam and like. I guess it would be unfair, maybe, it's or like, like it would be hard to defend. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's like. Uh, yeah, it's basically like proud family you know what, what was the call yeah it's family ball like deciding yeah. and everything it's like that yeah <laughs> that's funny um you're coaching now uh which you expressed you know is really fun and exciting could you like talk more about what's so great about coaching being on the other side of playing volleyball as well as what you think is like most important for you learning right now as a coach as a coach, I would say just learning the methods behind certain drills and putting together my own practices and stuff like that. That's just a whole other beast because practice plans are hard. But on the other side of things, I think maybe it's because I'm so fresh out. I just have a lot of 
enthusiasm and patience because I was just on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. And so if a kid doesn't understand something or maybe they're not really paying attention as much as they usually do one day, it's like, I get it. I've been there. And um, not being quick to assume and taking my time to get to the root of it because that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help them. It's not about me. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to do something completely outside of myself. The thing I was telling you the other day, coaching is like the only time where like my brain is shut off. And all I'm thinking about is like what the kid is doing and like how I can help them get better. Mm-hmm. It's just a very rare, um, special moment. Yeah, that's super fun. Uh, what are you like most looking forward to for the rest of the year and on into 2023? Well, the club season's about to start. Yep. So I'm really excited to coach my first game and yell at my kids, but in like a positive way. The first alliance gear. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my sauce on it, you know. I'm gonna be real cute. I think I'm also excited. I'm pretty sure uh, I'll be one of possibly one coach of color. Oh wow. And I'm just really excited. I'm really grateful and excited for the leadership that the club has given me, especially with our Compass collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also excited to represent because there's not many of us. And so I'm excited for girls to see me and be like, wow, like she looks like me. Yeah. Like, look what she did. I can get there too. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, because that's kind of, that does bring us back, you know, full circle to Sam, right? And just like yeah. you seeing her play. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that does remind me too, like what, what was it like being black in volleyball, right? It's not exactly basketball or football, right? Where there's more of a black mm-hmm. presence. Um, but yeah, could you just briefly kind of talk about what that was like, you know, especially overseas? Um, well, in high school, I would say it was pretty much as similar to overseas. Oh uh, yeah, true. But um, I would say the difference between high school is people, I got questioned more for my ability. Really? What do you mean? And so, you know, it was a lot of people believing that I couldn't do it or trying to. Couldn't do volleyball? Yeah. Couldn't play as well as the other girls. And Mm. why was I there? And I didn't deserve to be there. And then when I committed to Georgetown, I was like making comments to my mom, like, oh, she's smart enough to get in there. And just like little stuff like that. Whereas overseas, they assume that you are there for sports if you're a person of color. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um. And so it's not that I faced any, like, mm. real racism aside from, like, oh, you must be an athlete. And it's like, why? Wow, he's tall and black. <laughs> Correct. Um, but it was never a situation of anyone doubting my reasoning for being there. I see. Because I was black. Yeah. Aside from, you know, people touching my hair. You know, literally, like, Young shoving. People? No, like, coaches and oh, people shoving their hand in my hair. And it'd be so funny, my friend, uh, Kelsey, she's from Canada. Mm-hmm. And she would be the first and be like, don't touch your hair. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lindsay, great. too. And she'd be like, yeah. you can't say that. <laughs> so that was definitely a big difference, having people be like, you're not supposed to do that. Whereas in high school, that was not happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. And that actually brings us to compass as well because your mother-in-law boss is also a uh, a black woman um yeah. what how has it been 
transitioning out of volleyball and then into the working world, especially with your mother-in-law? <laughs> Honestly, very smooth. Um, I would say the only thing that took me a minute to not get used to, I just had to like let my anxiety go down was huh. like the freedom. Because, you know, with volleyball, you have your schedule, it's supposed to be a practice, but do this, and you listen to the coach, that's it. But with your mom, or Dr. Pamela, <laughs> there's, there's just freedom and flexibility, and she wants to hear your ideas, and she wants to know your opinions, and there's no, like, wrong answer, and things are always changing and growing. She wants to help me change and grow as well. And so I was really anxious for, like, a month. I was like waiting for the ball to. Well, she'll hear this and she'll be like, "Oh, paid vacation for the next month. I want you anxiety free." <laughs> it was only the first month, but after that, I was like, "Okay, Simone, like, this is you know what it's supposed to be. I mean, I don't know what it's like for other people, but you know, this is what it's like here. We're on a new team, finding my role. It's so funny. I literally talk to her like every day." Yeah. And the days that we don't talk, she'll be like, I'm talking to you forever. I'm like, yeah. no, it's been too long. <laughs> yeah. How much of, how much of like all that you like learn in volleyball transfers over into like your post volleyball life? I would say my attention to detail mm. is on like overdrive. <laughs> and I think that was just with, especially playing overseas, like my, as I improved it, came down to like the smallest of details making the biggest difference in my my the outcome of my skill and like how I was playing and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think now, even in like little things is like cleaning the house, like I yeah. see everything. Yeah. And it did not used to be this way. <laughs> but I think it's just because like I'm not worn out from volleyball anymore. Yeah. So everything else is just on overdrive. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. What what is is there like one small change that you're working on now that you hope has a big impact in the long run? A small change in just like your day to day or how you're doing things. I would definitely say figuring out my like working out routine. Hmm. I'm like super into cycle bar right now. And so yeah. both know. Right. Um but also just seeing my body in a different way and seeing it change. Um for so long it was my body had to be strong for volleyball and like my body i just want my body to be strong for myself and i just want to feel good yeah and yes it was nice to have those muscles but also now i don't need to carry muscles like that anymore mm -hmm. and fixing my relationship with lifting weights and all that stuff because i hated lifting weights but it prevented injuries so. for sure do any volleyball players take roids Roy, no, oh, we juice. Drug tested miles. Imagine a player on the juice, bro. I feel like you just get hurt when you <laughs> You can't be jumping that high, that hard, that often. Like that. I... Who is the Michael Jordan volley or volleyball? Small speech. <laughs> I would say either Polly. Um... Oh, is that a man? No. She's Holly? Paula. Paula. She's she an Italian, Italian opposite. She's fire. Mm. She's actually an Italian, like, African. Wow. Opposite. Yeah, she's fire. 
I it's like T Tijuana Boscovich. I mm-hmm. may have butchered her first name, but she's Serbian. She's also fine. Listen, hers or Isabel Hat. She's Swedish. She's oh, awesome. okay. All right, excellent though, excellent, Simone. Thank you so much for just you know who you are, everything you do, but as well being a guest on our podcast for our fiftieth episode. This was a real special one. So thank you. Thank you. And for everyone listening, Simone, could you share like where people can find you online, how they can learn more about you? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at Simone Speech, Simone with a Y, not an I. Yeah. And yeah, follow me, like my pic, DM me, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Ballers Read. If you enjoyed it, please leave us feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give us a star review and leave a comment. We'd greatly appreciate it. And you can follow us at Real Ballers Read on Instagram, and we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you, and have a great day.